Welcome to Westchester Words, Education, EdTech, and Publishing. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Kristen McLean of MPD BookScan about where the market ended up at the end of 22, and more importantly, how things are looking to forecast for 2023. Kristen, welcome to Westchester Words. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to have you here. So as I said in the introduction, uh, we're going to first touch on how the year ended for books in 2022. And when you were on the uh, Publishers Weekly webinar in the fall, you made a prediction that sales were going to end the year probably around five or so percent down against 2021. And as it turns out by the numbers released last week, it did end at about six percent down. So do you want to talk about if there were any surprises? So I think that the year actually up until November tracked pretty close to 2020 numbers and volume. So it was actually um, hanging in there, not not at the 2021 level. So just to remind listeners, 2021 was really the best year on record for the U.S. book market. Our data goes back to 2004 and 2021 was really, really a high point. So we did expect 2022 to be down because it was going to be very, very difficult to meet this, the uh, the high numbers of 2021. Overall, I think the market was super stable. It ran about 3% below 2021 for most of the year. And then when it hit November, that's where things got a little funky because during the pandemic, messages uh, to the general public about supply chain issues and everyone was worried about being able to get their stuff shipped and they didn't work going into the stores that forced the holiday period into an earlier launch. And in 2021, in particular, it it took off very early in October. And when we see holidays start that early, so we were selling Christmas books and Halloween books simultaneously in October 2021, uh, that generally means a very strong holiday. And in fact, holiday last year ran about 12% in front of 2020. This year, holiday period, not only did it start later because you know, people were not so worried about supply chain issues this year. But also, I think the general public just was a little bit less focused on Christmas this year. And so the holiday season started later and the volume was also lower because of all the economic uncertainty that's been going on. So in fact, it it didn't stick to 2020. It dropped below 2018, which is our lowest Christmas on record over the last five years. So it really lost a lot of momentum in December and gained a little bit at the end because we had a late Saturday, uh, an extra Saturday this holiday season. But in general, that had the effect of bringing us back to where we have been pretty much all year, which is minus 6%, a little better than that, minus 5.8% for the year over year on a unit basis. And uh, was that driven by just there wasn't any particular standout title and new releases in the fourth quarter? Or do do you really feel like it was economic factors and just fatigue from the midterms and all that? Well, so all year long, adult nonfiction has been lagging. Uh, It's the only area of of the U.S. market that was back to 2019 levels. So it's been soft all year. And we were thinking that it was possible that it was going to catch up a little bit in the fourth quarter because there were some very high-profile books coming. Michelle Obama's book, uh, new book, was out in November. Marie Kondo had a new book in November. Matthew Perry had a biography that was um, expected to be good. Ida Garten had a new book. Like Some of the anchors of fourth quarter were definitely in place for nonfiction, but it just did not meet expectations. Um, nonfiction wound up 10% below um, on a year-over-year basis. 
And those books, although they were fine releases by nonfiction standards, they didn't meet their expectations based on, um, you know, previous books, for instance. So overall, I think it was a mix of consumers spending less and also just not being very tuned in, particularly on the nonfiction side. And, and as we all know, that's the most valuable part of our business, right? It's the highest price points uh, in front list. And so as a consequence of that, the other thing that happened is that we lost three points of share of front list in December compared to last year. And that brought our overall front list share down by a point overall this year because of it. So We've just seen a trend away from frontless new books this year also, which has been um, a pattern that started at the beginning of the pandemic, but you know, did not reverse itself this year in the way we, we thought might happen. Let's turn now towards 2023. And, you know, certainly there are some prominent high profile titles coming out. For instance, the uh, Prince Harry book that dropped yesterday. And by all reports, at least in the UK, it's it's been a, a stellar seller. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see that happen here, but you know, what are your thoughts on how is 2023 looking to shape up? The Prince Harry book is going to be a very telling rollout for us. Like I'm waiting to see the numbers like everybody else, because unlike other seasons where we could really anchor ourselves in one part of the market, sending signals that it was going to be strong, for instance, children's books or fiction. This year, we're, I'm not seeing a lot of strong signals uh, in any particular area of the market. Fiction was really strong in 2022. It was the only area of the market that was in growth. So I do expect we're going to see some of that carry into 2023. Um, TikTok, book talk, the area of the, sort of the book influencer part of TikTok was a really major driver in that growth this year. But I think the Prince Harry biography, autobiography is going to be a real bell, bellwether for the year because based on what we saw this fall, I'm not sure it's going to meet its expectations, although I'm sure it's going to be a very large release. You know, the the the, the biographies and that we saw come out this this fall, I would say did about half as well as as were they were expected to do. And um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Harry book is the same. Uh, certainly, getting a lot of press, which is not going to hurt it. But I'm not convinced. I, I had this feeling that consumers are looking for something new. They're looking to be delighted. There is a kind of air of cautious optimism when you look at things like the consumer confidence index right now. So I feel like consumers are in a in a space where they they might get excited about something new coming, but at the same time, the publishing market itself is pretty conservative right now. I expect twenty twenty three to be a very conservative year in terms of investment in new content. We saw that the Penguin Random House Simon Schuster merger did not move forward. That's going to have an impact, particularly on Penguin Random House. We're already seeing that happen. We've gotten signals from some of the other major publishers that they're just taking a pretty tight line this year. Uh, they're battening down the hatches. They're expecting uh, some negative numbers. They are talking about smaller orders from retailers this year, the consumer buy and then the retail buy. Those are two different things, right? So if retailers aren't ordering in the way that they have in the past, that makes publishers nervous. There is no such thing as the new normal right now. We're not going back to, you know, a more settled market like 2019. I think there are some really big question marks in front of us. The consumer, what the consumer wants is a question. How the publishers are going to deal with their own business uh, challenges is a question. How retailers are going to run their business because uh, retailers have, not necessarily in the book space, but when we look at mass market retailers, they still have a lot of inventory in their warehouses. So they are going to be a little bit conservative as they continue to promote all of that to get it out of their warehouses. So they're 
you know, taking um, still a pretty conservative line. So I I think it's just going to be really interesting Q1, Q2, as we see how this all shakes out. Mm. Do you think that's going to, in a way, accelerate the trend that was already there towards consumers reaching for backlist content? You know, in since there's like a, I don't want to say a lack of front list, but if retailers are being more conservative in what they're bringing in, they may want to go with you know the steady, reliable of an author's backlist. So, do you think that's just going to continue to drive that trend? Well, I think when we talk about mass market, for sure, um, that that is the case because mass market retailers really love that what I call core backlist. So backlist that has a very dependable sales record because they are all about trying to forecast how many turns a particular object is going to do on their shelf. I think they're going to continue to follow um, the trend that's been on Book Talk, which is towards romance towards contemporary women's fiction, you know, they're going to ride the wave right now of what's been happening this year. So I think we're going to continue to see those types of fiction themes. I do think, interestingly, there's a little bit of a signal in the data that maybe horror is having a resurgence right now. So I think we are going to see some titles come back to the shelf around horror or gothic themes, but still there's a lot of backlist there as well. Uh, and at the same time, you know, just in the larger environment for retailers, um, what we find coming off the pandemic is that retailers, both traditional chains, the indies, and and the mass market, you know, they're making very calculated decisions about how to manage their business now. And particularly for the chains, they are now feeling much more liberated, I think, than they did before the pandemic to steer their own ship to make very specific choices perhaps to invest more in backlist than they might have in the past uh, to really try to drive their business. And, and we know Barnes & Noble in particular is uh, really giving their local stores a lot of latitude in what they choose to carry. So I think that, that all, all of that works against front list, right? If you're right. trying to make sure you've got a steady, uh, good business, you're much less likely to take risks on uh, or over or over invest in front list right now. I do think the one place where front list is... Uh, is you know, really going to continue to be a, a differentiator is probably the indie market because those guys are um, having have coming off a great couple of years after they stabilized after the pandemic. And if the chains are not investing in frontless, this is something that the indie stores can really do very well. And I think that uh, publishers need to really make sure that they're building those relationships because that's going to be critically important for new books. Yeah, especially with the growth of bookstores that we've seen, you know, through the pandemic and up to now, I think ABA reported last year that it was the highest number of booksellers joining their association ever. So um, that's a good point to make. Um, I'm curious, and I realize this is not necessarily the area that you may be most familiar with, but do you feel like that there's been improvement on the production side in terms of printers and the paper issues that we were seeing at one point in time, particularly in 2021. What I can say about that is I'm hearing less complaints about it. I don't think it's completely resolved. I think the issue of capacity, uh, I mean, the fact that China is now super disrupted again with COVID uh, and the fact that there was very tight capacity in other places is still making it so that print runs um, overseas are just taking longer. And it also uh, means that we're still seeing publishers um, making a lot of, I mean, I think to be in the supply chain in a publisher right now, you have to kind of, it's like business jazz, right? You have to 
you know, you've got a book coming and you have to decide where you're going to do the first print run. And then maybe you back it up with a second print run that's print on demand or that's done more locally, or, you know, you're doing more printing across multiple partners just to try to make sure that your books are in the right place at the right time. I think that we've gone from just the complete and total disaster that we had, uh, you know, 2020 to 2021 to something that's a little bit more manageable, but still is in transition from a supply chain point of view. And and I do think that there's a lot of discussion of building capacity in North America, um, but it's that's not something you do overnight, right? This is like the investment that's required to build capacity and nearshore the supply chain um, operations will take a decade, probably. So I think it's better than it was, but I think that that will also feed into some of the conservative business decision making that we've been talking about for 2023. Mm. And then even if you do build the capacity, it's do you have the people who can operate it? Yep. Do you have the do you have the people who can operate? Do you have the paper that you need? Like I think the paper is one of still one of the most critical questions, right? We a lot of paper supply was it e- was eaten up by by shipping materials like boxes. Like that was something that we heard a lot of about the amount of a paper pulp that was going towards cardboard versus um, paper for printing. We do know that about twenty percent of the, the peak of online shopping has moved back into stores over the last two years. So people are back in stores. There is definitely um, less shipping going on, but there's cert- a certain amount of habituation that happened during the pandemic that's continuing. So, you know, shipping supplies still are in very high demand. So I think, you know, it's just a super complicated and pretty thorny issue that I think there's opportunity for um, printers and, and POD um, operations and just-in-time inventory management, like there, there are opportunities, but we're still in a retooling period for sure when it comes to that stuff. I have the privilege of working from home and my office faces the street. And I can't tell you how many times every different you know, shipping company is up and down this street dropping boxes off, including from Amazon. And I'm guilty of ordering stuff from Target, including books, because I don't want to go to the store. So, yeah, I guess... I'm part of the problem or part of the solution. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I think that most households will tell you that they order more now than they used to for, to be delivered to the house. And I do think that a kind of uh, reconciliation between that and other concerns over sustainability that I think are on the rise over the next decade, right? Things t- tied into environment, things tied into just global supply chain. That that people are concerned about those things, and and it's part of the larger climate conversation. But we haven't quite gotten to the point yet where individual households are really moderating that behavior. So it, for sure, I mean, people are definitely getting more delivered right to their front door. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe those will be some some climate books or or how to be a more sustainable. <laughs> is that an area that maybe is primed for some growth? I mean, I do think that people have these questions, and I would say that younger generations are more mindful even um, than than the grownups in the household right now. I have a 15-year-old in my house. Me too. And we're, we're, you know, where I'm seeing it play out is in fashion. So I see kids, my kid and other kids of that generation, more interested in thrifting, more uh, aware of, of the impact of fast fashion after the pandemic, right? Like the amount of clothing that goes unbought and what happens to that stuff. So- I do think we're seeing it play out in other ways in other industries, uh, but I don't think people have really gotten to the point where they're thinking about it too much when it comes to books. Although I do know that 
the in the supply chain, the publishing market, um, in the wider global publishing community, we've we've already had these conversations, right? I think that's right. the point of our last webinar. So uh, I just think it's going to take time to work itself through. But I do think on a global level, we're definitely moving in that direction in a way that was very different than when I look back before the pandemic. Mm. Um, and can you speak globally to how book sales did? I mean, yeah, I know the main focus is the U.S., but is there a similar story playing out overseas? We uh, no longer track the global market because our global business is um, now sitting with Nielsen. I don't have the specific figures, but I do know from other industries that we track, for instance, like toys and beauty, that uh, overseas markets, particularly in Europe, are doing worse than the U.S. market right now in terms of recovery on a lot of these discretionary categories and things like energy costs, like the impact of the war in Ukraine on Europe and energy costs is really profound. So um, I do think that the recovery is happening slower in other global markets, although I don't have specific numbers for books. Fair enough. And I, I do hear from uh, publishers in the UK that Brexit is still having severe knock-on effects mm -hmm. um, all these years since that vote happened. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, our, in our experience, the European markets follow the US market by a couple of years anyway, just generally in trends. But I think that the economic challenges, the political challenges in Europe right now are much are, are, are pretty significant. Yeah, they are definitely much deeper and it's going to take them longer to climb out of that for sure. Well, I want to try to end this on a more positive note. So, um, is there is there any ray of light that we can that we can look to for twenty twenty three? Where's the positive? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I just want to just take us back. Like the the metaphor that I use for twenty twenty one is that we scaled Everest as a market, right? Like it was the high point. And so we're coming. It's really important to just keep in mind the fact that we're coming down off a peak. And when you come down off a peak, you're going to have negative numbers. But we are still as a market overall quite a bit above where we were in 2019. We finished the year 12% ahead of 2019, 4% ahead of 2020. So we still just have finished our second best year on record. But the psychology has really shifted. And I think the uncertainty in the consumer market is what's making everybody really edgy. And I think we are in a period of adjustment because we've just been through this like historic upheaval, right, globally. I think that when you go through something that the, the the behavior shift that happened and the economic shift that happened because of the pandemic, like we're going to, it's going to take us a little while to really understand the full impact of that. But when you look back historically over these times, these periods in, in human history, oftentimes these are also opportunities for reinvention. And I think that we're in that period now. I think that there's opportunity for innovation, even though we are in a really con a conservative business environment. I don't think consumers are feeling that way so much. Like if things continue the way they are right now, I think consumers are actually going to be like there are signs of optimism for consumers. There are signs of people wanting to be delighted, wanting to experience something new, wanting to travel again, wanting to reinvest in family. So there are opportunities out there. There are some publishers that are growing because they are very nimble and they're able to um, you know, move quickly and really pay attention to opportunities. And I also think that the publishing market is such a stable, mature market that we struggle when we need to retool a little bit. And that's kind of what we're doing now. But the, the net gain is we've got more bookstores, 
We've got more participation in independent retail, which we're seeing in both the books and the comic market. We are seeing younger generations come into both the writing and the publishing side of the business. Like that's all very optimistic. So, and and also I would be remiss for not mentioning, we're talking about adult nonfiction being down, but what's going on with fiction over the last couple of years is pretty amazing, right? We were up 25% in fiction last year. We just closed up another 9% this year after a bunch of years of seeing fiction have modest declines. So I think that's exciting. And there are other examples out there of things that are happening between fans and authors, like uh, what happened with Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter this year. You know, he raised, what, a $42 million or something for his his new books directly from his fans. Like, that is interesting in that um, also the, the relationship between that has driven areas like manga in the U.S. to to real heights over the last few years, things like the, the connection between streaming video and reading. Like that's a very strong connection. Those are new and interesting things. So I would just encourage people to keep an open mind. Expect some negative, some more negative numbers this year. You know, we are going to have to retrench reset. a little bit. Yeah, that's I, that's what I think it is. I think it's a reset. I don't think it's a like. There's lots of signs of life and exciting new patterns, but we have to adjust. We we're a bit we're a bit over over uh, public publishing going into the pandemic. And now we're in a period of, of reset, but there's lots of opportunity. And I think on the other side of it, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens. So to use a gardening metaphor, we're kind of pruning back so that we can grow healthier and stronger. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Yep. Okay. Well, let's, let's hope for lots of healthy green shoots in 2023. Kristen, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights. Uh, maybe we'll check back with you later in the year to see if those healthy shoots have emerged. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Westchester Words. If you're looking for previous episodes or want to read additional content that has been shared by some of our guests, please visit our websites, westchesterpublishingservices.com and westchestereducationservices.com. For an international perspective, check out our sister podcast, Westchester Words UK and International, available on the Westchester Education UK website, westchestereducation.co.uk, or wherever you stream podcasts. We'd love hearing from our listeners and welcome your emails at westchesterwords at westchesteredsvcs.com. Tell us what you enjoy hearing on our podcast or suggest topics that we can cover in future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, I look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Westchester Words, when we'll be having another engaging conversation about a topic of interest to the education, edtech, and publishing communities. Until then, stay safe, be well, and stay tuned.